Amen. Goodness and mercy. Let me get this out of the way. Well, good morning, church. I want to just start by saying it's good to know Jesus loves us and thank God it's not based on what we've done. That was a great song, Sam, and having thought of that, I'd like to start this morning by apologizing to anybody who may feelings got hurt. What happened to me last week wasn't intended. I wish it wouldn't happen, and I shorted out. I had a meltdown. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a human. <laughs> um, if it did make you feel bad, like I said, I love you. I'm sorry. But it did bring me some good things. It's made me realize that there's things we need to face. There's things we need to deal with. There's things that we got to man up and do if our church is going to be the church that it, it needs to be. And I do sincerely, with all my heart, ask you to forgive me if I did hurt your feelings in any way. Pray for me. Your pastor is struggling right now. It ain't the first time he struggled. He's kept me going with things just as worse as this before, and he'll keep me going too because his mercy is great and his grace is good. And so this morning, I want to ask you to take your Bible if you've got it. And we've been doing something. I don't think we need to quit. Because every answer that we have is in this book. Everything, this is the instruction manual. This is what you go by. And it has everything for every moment that we practice our faith. And so this morning, if you got a Bible, I don't know about y'all, I'm thankful for mine. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you that I have one in my hand. We're so blessed in America. That you, thank you that it contains the complete and full word of God. And we know that this earth is going to pass away. Mankind's going to pass away. But the word of God lives and abides forever. It will never pass away. A lot of people's trying to get rid of it, but they ain't done too good, have they? We all got one still. The word of God shall never pass away. So I'm asking you with all my heart to help me preach it today the way it deserves and should be preached. I'm asking God to help us to hear it and to understand it so that we can apply it to our life. And Lord, we do promise to obey it, to keep it, to let your word sanctify us. Your truth, you say, is the word. So Lord, use your word today, Lord, not opinions. Don't let our feelings or our emotions be the things that influence our decisions, but Lord, let it be the truth in your spirit. And I pray today, Lord, that you'll look over us and watch over us and bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. It was a church he had founded many years before when his missionary journeys. He's in a prison right now. It's one of the prison epistles. And when you get to where I want to read, first you need to kind of see what he's been showing the church. He starts off and he says in the beginning, if you want to follow me through the scriptures right quick up to this, it's just going to take a moment. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, in verse 1, chapter 1, by the will of God, whatever you are, whatever God's put you in his church, it's by his will, not ours. 
He puts us where he wants us. Paul said, I'm who I am by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So this whole book is to saved people who are a body of believers called Ephesus, the Ephesian church. It's not to lost people. It's to saved people. And he says, grace to you. Grace is so important that Paul starts every letter with that. He ends every letter with that. If you look with me just a few verses down, look what he says in verse 7. We're all here because of what he just sang about in that song. In him, him being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, according to the riches of his grace. Not us, all him. And then he says that we were dead in our trespassing sins, but he made us alive over in chapter 2. And he says, when you look down... In verse 4, when we were still dead in our trespass and sin, God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4 of chapter 2, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of this grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And we know this one by heart, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any one of us should boast. With all of that having happened to us and all the other stuff that he's wrote in this letter that was read to a church in one sitting at one time. It wasn't like we take it and pick it apart and teach it, but it was given to us by God for the church to operate and know how to do. And when he gets to what we have made, chapter 4, in verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you. He's saying, I beg you, I'm pleading with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I didn't really have a name for this sermon, but I got to have one to put it on. But the calling with which you were called, every one of you here are not here because you called to God and you got wise. He called to you. Amen. He brought you out of darkness into his light. He called you into his church and his kingdom. And he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And if you get down to verse 4, he tells you how you ought to act with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he tells us there's only one body, that's the church. There's only one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Everybody in here, if you're saved, you have a calling that God put on you, that He has, that you are to strive and endeavor to finish the hope of that calling. And he's given you everything you need. He says in the second verse, he says, in Christ Jesus, all the spiritual blessings of heaven have been given to us. Not some, not most, all has been given to us. We have everything we need to do and be the church God wants us to be. And friends, when you get to this verse, I want you to think about grace, gifts, and calling. Grace has provided for us everything God wants us to have, and he's gifted us with the things that makes us who we are and what we are called to do so that we can accomplish that call. And look at what he says. He says after that, this amazing thing, to each one of us, not just the preachers, not just the deacons, but to each one of us, grace, oh, I hit the wrong button, hold up, I'll get us back. But to each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gave each one of us a different gift, a different enablement to do something. 
And I want you to think about it as you look at this with me. This is not a one passage out of one book. This is a doctrine. A doctrine is a spiritual teaching that comes from a systematic look throughout the whole Bible. We're going to look at the whole New Testament, primarily what Paul said about this topic that I want to look at this morning about grace, gifts, and calling. If you've experienced saving grace, you've experienced saving gifts, enablements that make you able to do what God has called you to do. You didn't come to Bethany by choice. You may not realize this, but God worked that in your life if you're here because of God, and he put you here. He called you here. And I want you to think about this. When you look in Romans, speaking on the same thing, this is what Paul said. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Not everyone does the same thing. Not everyone is responsible. Everyone has a different function. But we being many are one body in Christ. Even though we all look different, we act different, we come from different backgrounds, in Jesus we're one. He's the head, and he's put us all here like this body that we all have. So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. But look at the next verse, he says. Here it is again. Gifts, grace, gifts, and callings. He says, but having then gifts differing, we all got a different enablement. He's all give you a different ability. He didn't give you all the ability to do what Jonathan does or what I do or what Richard does or what Brother John does. He gave you the gift, the ability to do what he's called you to do. Not me. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, he says, let us use them. That comes from Romans, and that's all about talking about just what I'm looking at, the doctrinal teaching about the church and how his grace is provided and gifts have been given so that we all accomplish our calling. Look at what he says in Corinthians. This is so cool to me. He said, there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same spirit. There's only one spirit. And there are differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord. We all serve who? Jesus. And we all got different ministries that he expects us to do. And he, he, and those diversities of gifts and those differences of ministries require us all to be involved in a diverse bunch of different activities. Is everybody where I'm at? Everybody here was not saved to come and sit in a pew. He's talking about gifts, and if you was to study this more in depth, he gives you lists in each one of these passages from these three different places in his writings about the spiritual gifts. Nowhere can you find that pew sitting is a spiritual gift. It's not in there. He expects everyone to contribute to the work of ministry for the edifying of his body, the church, by itself, every port doing its share, it grows in love. And so he's given us all. Look at what his next verse says, verse 7. Grace gives calling. But the manifestation of this spirit, the spirit, capital S spirit, gave us these gifts. It's given to each one for the profit of all. And each one of us is to be doing what God put us here to do and contributing to the overall work of the church and its ministry to accomplish it, to make it healthy and flourish and prosperous and fruitful. It has to be healthy. And friends, if you look with me in our text this morning, he goes and he begins to tell us and he describes in this text exactly what happens from all of these things being made real in our life. So I want you to look first before we get here. 
God has blessed his church. Say that. God has blessed his church with diversities of gifts. That's enablements, abilities, differences of ministries, places to minister and serve. Jesus said that even him didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. And diversities of activities is given to each one of us here this morning for the profit of all of us together. And so as we look at that, I want you to see something. He says right here that he gave us some gifts that they name. And that gift, if you look with me right here, when you get down here, it says, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive in verse 8. And he gave gifts to men. He did it. In verse 11, it says, he himself, Jesus personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Paul was an apostle. They didn't even have the word of God yet. He's writing the word of God. He was an apostle. They didn't have what we have, a complete, canonized, inspired, inerrant, infallible word from God yet. So they had prophets at that time that God gifted them that knew Jesus and they preached. And from there he had evangelists that was preaching the gospel and people were getting saved and they were coming in and that. And then within the bodies, he put pastors and teachers Pastors and teachers. What do you think he put pastors there for? We could probably stay here for a while given a broad range of opinions. But today people think pastors are supposed to do all the work of the ministry. When y'all look at the Bible, it says, and he himself gave some to be pastors and teachers. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And guys, look at what he says. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, we know that the English puts perfect. And it does mean that we perfect. He perfects what he wants to do in us. But it's betterly translated as mature. Mature is what it's in a bunch of y'all's translations. And as he's teaching us and growing us he, he's taking us in the unity of the faith the faith is the word of God what we believe the faith is what we go by it's what makes us who we are the truth of the word of God and he takes that and he he begins to give us more knowledge of the son of God and as we grow in the saving understanding knowledge of Jesus and we grow in the understanding knowledge of the faith of the the saints Something begins to happen. It begins to change us. He perfects us and he matures us and he makes us complete into what he wants us to be to the point that we are able to measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what it says right there where he's trying to turn us all into Christ. He says in Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and perfect an acceptable will of God. He doesn't want you to remain ignorant like he was when he saved you. When he saved us, we were all babies. And all babies know how to do is cry. Babies act like I acted last Sunday. When babies need something, they cry. When babies are uncomfortable, they cry. And friends, listen, when we're all crying, when we're all whining, when we're all... 
looking and none of us is doing it ourselves. We all need help. We're not a mature person. See, we're supposed to grow to where we're no longer children. Look at what he says in verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, that's teaching, by the trickery of men in the cunning crash of deceitful plot. Plotting. We should grow up into a complete, uh, the, the, the grace perfects us to be mature, to be a grown-up child of God, that we're no longer children. And he says right here, from whom the whole, look at what he says in verse 15. How does that happen? By speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Jesus, who is the head, Christ. So as you're taught the truth in love and we're all growing God is maturing us. He's changing us. He's making us into leaders. And he's making us into disciples and men and women of God who represent him. He's the, he is the head. We are the body. Look at what he says right there. From whom the whole body. We are the body of Christ. We are his representation. We are how he accomplishes his will on the earth. And he doesn't use just a few people. He uses everybody. I got a foot. And I got a hand, but if my leg quits working, my foot ain't going to do me much good. If my arm refuses to listen to the head, my hand is useless. Everybody in here is part of the body. Everybody has to function according to the activities that God has ordained you and called you to do. And today we have accepted a model that if you get enough money and you pay enough people, you can do it and the whole church can sit and watch the Jesus show. But guys, we wasn't called to be spectators. We're all called to be participators in the greatest activity on the face of the earth. To get to be the church of the living God. To get to represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The creator who sent his own son to die on a cross. To make himself a group of people on this earth. The most precious people on this earth is us. The church of God. The body of Christ. And he, he, orda, he ordained it and he organized it to be exactly the way he wanted it to be, to do exactly what he wants it to do. And he gave it everything he needs to do it. The primary two things he's given to us is pastors and deacons. Pastors and deacons are the first thing he gives us. And listen what he says happens when we're all doing what we're trained and taught to do. He says in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit. He joined us together. He tied us together. He knitted us together by what every joint, every joint, we're all a joint, supplies. We all have to supply according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Did you see that? By we are all knitted together, joined together, effectively working together by God, Jesus, who put us here where he wants us so that every part does its share. When every part does its share, look at what he says, by which every part does, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God wants to edify us. He wants to build us up. In love, and he looks for everybody here to help. So, what does the pastor do? Well, the pastor, the pastor, he's got the job right there to shepherd, to teach. That word pastor in the original language can equally mean shepherd. And if you look up that word that is in the Greek for pastor, it means shepherd. That's the noun form. If you look up the verb form, it means to shepherd. 
to pastor, to shepherd, to, to take care of, to nurture, to feed, to take responsibility for, to do what it takes to help the sheep, to survive, to flourish, to experience the life. But he also equally calls them bishops. The word bishop is the word in the Greek that comes from the word episcopus, episcopus. How many of you ever heard of the Episcopal church? They get their name from that. You know how their church is modeled? They look more to a bishop, an overseer. They even call him a priest. But the Episcopal church uses bishops. That's what they'll call you if you're a a pastor there, Bishop Cooper. I wouldn't like that. (laughs) Elders. The word elders, that's equally used interchangeably. It literally means to rule or to lead. It's a derivative of the word presbytery. How many of us ever heard of the Presbyterian church? That's where it comes from. The Presbyterian church models that. So they have a plurality of elders who oversee a Presbyterian church. We follow more of the pastor-shepherd mode. And you have pastors. You can have a single pastor, but most churches today have multiple pastors. And whether you realize that yet this morning, we do too. We have three pastors here that was called by God to come here and pastor your church. We have me, your pastor, and then under me, we have Jonathan, our worship pastor, and we have Sam. He is our youth pastor. If you talked to him, you didn't hire him, you called him. You didn't give us a job because we didn't take a job. We answered a call. And we were not hired, we were appointed. And we come here because God called us here to do what God has called us to do for his body. And friends, if you look around, just listen to this right quick. I want to read to you what the Bible has to say. Peter, speaking about what I'm talking about, listen to what he says. He says, the elders, plural, who are among you, I exhort you, I who am a fellow elder, shepherd the flock. That's the same word for pastor. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving, serving as overseers. That's the same word for bishop. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those who have been entrusted to you by God, but being an example to them. And that's what we are here. You know, not only are we called elders and shepherds, we're also called bishops. If you was to flip over, and it says in the book of Philippians, by the time Philippians wrote, Paul said, Paul and Timothy to the church in Philippi, And to the bishops and the deacons. Now, when he's talked to Timothy, I mean to Titus, he told Titus to go to Crete and appoint elders in every city. But he didn't just call them elders, he called them bishops. One verse under it. Now listen to this. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Where? Lacking in what? The church. And appoint, not hire. Appoint called men of God who are elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop, he's calling him the same thing. An an elder and a bishop must be blameless. 
as a steward of God. And he's got other things. Listen what he tells him about elders. Bishops, that word means to oversee. It means to be an overseer. Pastor means to shepherd. Elders means to rule and lead. I know that makes some people uncomfortable today in this world who doesn't want anybody to ever have to have authority over them. But I don't want it. <laughs> I wish I could give it away. But I'm going to answer to God for what I do and how I do it. Listen to what he told Timothy. In Timothy chapter 5, he's speaking to another young pastor. He says, let the elders who, this is verse 17, if anybody wants to look it up. Chapter 5 says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, I want you to think about this. Let the elders, plural, he's writing to a specific church, the church in Ephesus where he had left, the one we're talking about. And he says, Timothy, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. But then he says, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. There's people here who think that the only person in the church who can be an elder or a bishop or elder has to be the preacher. That's totally unbiblical. He said, let all the elders who rule well, who oversee well, who, who shepherd well, especially the ones who preach, implying that not every one of them was preaching. And so what do we have? We have... I'm the shepherd of the church, I'm the pastor, and I have oversight over all the things and I have to answer for God for it. So we have Jonathan. Jonathan does all of these things. He's on the praise team. He's over the worship ministry. The Bible says that the pastors are to equip the church for the work of ministry. What does he do? He's equipping all these guys every week, every chance he gets to do the work of the music ministry. He's in charge of all the oversight. He oversees it. Ask him. As long as he's doing what he wants, I don't micromanage him. That's his and God's job. He leads the worship. He's over the music. He takes care of everything that includes making this happen every Sunday, including the media, including all the, the stuff back there that messes up, including every single thing. It's more than what most. His wife puts my sermon on the screen every week so we can click the little button. His family does that. He oversees His daughter clicks the button so you can see it on the screen. Him and his family are serving us, but they are equipping us. He's over the, 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 the youth. He's doing a pretty good job because we've had two events and the youth was everywhere present working. I'm praising God. He's equipping them to learn to work. They are helping. They're serving. They're doing what they're supposed to do. That's what pastors do. They equip. They lead. And they oversee. And they are the ones who God gave to the church is a gift to be your elders, your pastors, your pastors. And they are all functioning in that manner. But listen what it says. If you're in charge and you're at the top, do you think you're a target? Do you think the people that are over all this, they're not only a target of the devil, they're a target of the carnal. And so he, he puts in here, for the scripture, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. If you appoint a man who's called of God, he is worthy to be took care of by you. That's what the scripture says. You're not doing him a favor. You're doing what God expects. And it says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. People who want to complain but not be recognized, 
your accusation is worth about this much. Because it's biblically not an accusation unless you are willing to stand up and be recognized for it. And it says to have two or three of you doing it. Now what makes a man be worthy of having an accusation? Personal opinion, his personality, the things you don't like about him has nothing to do with it. Because a lot of people don't like me, but God called me to do this. I can't help it. Jonathan don't look like me. He don't act like me. Sam don't look. The only thing about us, we all got a beard. But Sam's got a red beard. He's got a pretty beard. And I got a real beard. Amen. But guys, we all ain't the same person. We ain't supposed to be. God wants to use diversity. He wants to find different ways to reach different people. And Jonathan reaches people I don't reach. Sam reaches people I can't. The youth are bored with me. They just like to laugh at me. But guys, all kidding aside, God put us here to do what God told us to do and nothing else. So what do we do? We oversee and we do what we're doing. We take care of it. He gave us deacons. If you look up the word deacon, it means servant. That's it. <laughs> A deacon was put here to serve. It's been said, and I believe it was said well, and I was taught this by my leaders who trained and equipped me, that the pastors... Bishop elders are here to be responsible for the spiritual needs of the church. We are to meet the spiritual needs of the church, primarily the people. But we are to provide spiritual worship and organize. And do it. But the deacons are here to meet the physical needs of the church, which are many. Sometimes y'all have physical needs. The origins of the deacons are believed they were brought on to the church, put into the church, because they were ministering to widows and providing meals. We know that they were primarily, when we study church history, in charge of taking care of the elderly and the orphans and those who couldn't take care of themselves so the preachers could preach and pray and lead the church. Now, guys, it's nothing to blame anybody. We got three deacons, thank God. That's all we got is three. And they're not spring chickens. And some of them can't do what they used to do. But the deacons are here also to take care of the needs that is allotted to them by God to be responsible for. So you got pastors and you got deacons. The deacons take care of what? Spiritual needs. The deacons are here to help take care of what? Physical needs. Okay, some of us heard that. Three. But I want you to think about this. What disqualifies any of us is not our personalities, it's our qualifications. And unless we've done something unethical, immoral, or unbiblical, no matter how much we may not be liked or certain things, we're still qualified by God to do what he put us here to do. Now, I want you to think about this. Not only has God blessed us with deacons and pastors to lead and oversee and do the work of ministry, but when you look at this text, God has blessed his church with a whole body, everybody in here, if you're saved, with spiritually enabled servants. Everybody here has something to contribute. And every person that we leave unconnected in the body without a function, without a um, 
He doesn't have any activity or any ministry, and he's not exercising his gift. We're handicapping. We're handicapping ourselves. Did I say that right? Y'all know my English. Y'all know how to figure it out now. But listen, spiritually enabled servants, look what he says. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every one of us. And he didn't give us all the same amount. He gave us all a different measure according to what he put us here to do. Now, this is all fixing to come real right home. Grace, gifts, and calling. Having in gifts differing according to the grace that is given to them. Let us do what with them? Use them. So everybody here has something to contribute. Now, I understand you get older. You can't do what you used to do. But I ain't found anywhere in the Bible where we get to retire till Jesus calls us home. There's always something we can do. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. Bethany Baptist Church ministry teams. We got property and we got space. Some people call it the grounds and some people call it the building. We got a team leader, John Merle. He is one of our deacons. He's the leader. I talked to him. He still wants to do it. We only have two other people on that committee, or I'd rather call it a ministry team and call it a team leader. That is in charge of all of this. One of them is in heaven. I don't think he's burdened this morning with the condition and the maintenance of our building. Amen. He ain't even here no more. The other one, I would bet everything in me. He's sitting here this morning and has no idea he's on there. I'm looking at one of you. Y'all say, oh, no, is it me? It's one of you. But I bet you you don't even know because we haven't communicated it well. The leader over it hasn't led the group. So this morning, we're going to have the most unusual invitation you've ever seen. I'm preaching to the body of Christ this morning. If you lost, I'll get to that in a minute. But if God saved you, you're part of this church. And men, it shouldn't be me, Jonathan, or, or, or just a few that are all Richard and Bart and the men that I have here that are here shouldn't have to be trying to do all this. We got men who I believe are capable. Amen. I believe in you because <laughs> I believe God saved you. And I believe we underestimate you. So we got a piece of paper right here. And if you look, it's got one. I got optimism with me this morning. I didn't have none last Sunday, but I done been with God all week. I've been in the Word all week. And it says, property in space, team leader John Merle. You put your name and your phone number. We'll contact you. We'll get together. And we'll ask you at the meeting, what can you do? What are your abilities? What can you help to contribute to doing this ministry? It's a ministry. It's not up to just a few people. We don't have enough people to keep hiring and paying them out. We don't have the money. So we all together would come. I got ten spaces, but if we get five, I'm going to praise Jesus. Amen. And you sign up for that. That's one. Here's another one. This one here is the children's church ministry. Miss Jessica Schomar. She's the children's church director. She's the children's church director. But guys, to be a children's church director, you got to have ministers to direct. Can I get an amen? A children's church ministry is not getting rid of the pews and getting chairs. It's not getting a better computer and getting a curriculum to teach them with. It's people who love kids enough in the church to minister to them. They need a leader. I can't oversee it. I can't always have every answer. So I'm believing with Jessica, I'm going to help Jessica. I'm going to help John Merlin every way I can. But I'm not doing the work of this anymore. It's y'all's ministries. It's your church. You belong to God. And we get people this morning. I've been hearing people, I'll take a turn. If we get four people and you was to rotate with her, she'd have help. You're getting trained. You're learning how to do it. It's not hard to do if you love Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we got somebody when she's gone 
to get to fill in. But it, then, God forbid, we could let her have a break every now and then and get to come to church and get ministered to so she can go back and minister more. You can't just give, 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 give. Sooner or later, you run out. Also, we got a nursery ministry. Is Miss Cherie in here today? She's here. She right now at the moment is our nursery coordinator, but she's already saying, Brother Marvin, I'm ready to give this to somebody else. I miss church. I need church. And most people that I know can only last so long when they never get to come in here and be fed. So she's worn out. And I hear people all the time say, well, I'd sign up. I'd sign up. Well, here's your chance. Here's your chance. <laughs> and if you sign up, we'll have a meeting. I'll oversee it. I'll be the pastor, the minister, and we'll help you. Now, I'm going to give you this one last to give you an understanding of what it is. Some of you are going to say, goodness, this? This ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. When you do it once or you do it for a month. Jonathan right now is the lockup ministry. That's why he's over it. <laughs> It was delegated to him. Primarily, the deacons should be doing this. Every church I've ever been to, every church I know of, the deacons are responsible. We don't have enough deacons. Some are impossible physically to lock up. So you don't give it to your worship leader. He's got already things to do. Now, he doesn't know I was doing this till a while ago, and he was like, you going to tell them that this morning? I said, yeah, because I'm going to use it as an illustration for what I'm talking about. The first time you lock up the building, you're going to say, this ain't nothing. That ain't that bad. You're going to go turn off all the air conditioning. You're going to come back down and somebody else has done turn the lights back on. You got to wait till everybody leaves. So you got to wait to last. So you do it Sunday, Sunday. I promise you by the end of the month, you're saying, boy, there was more to this than I thought. And it's not hard to do. I'll take my turn. He'll take his turn. Sam don't have a choice. I just told him he's going to take, but he was willing. He wants to take a turn. But when you've done it for a whole month, you're going to be looking for the next persons to give him the keys to let him do his share. And then you do it for six months. Golly, this is getting old. This is getting to be monotonous. It's becoming burdensome. I'm not getting joy from it anymore. I, I don't get to go eat with everybody. I got to wait. Some of you had to wait before to go let Jonathan eat with you. I've done been hearing it. But guys, when you've done it for a whole year and there is no help in view, there is nobody saying, I understand. Let me take a turn. You begin to think, I'm going to be doing this as long as I'm here. There's a lot more things like this in this church than a lockup committee or a lockup team. So I propose me, Jonathan, and Sam will take a month. That leaves nine men or families or women. Teach your children how to serve. Lock up for one month. We'll get a set of lockup keys that are for the lockup ministry. And at the end of your month, we'll give it to the next people. That's how a church that operates correctly functions. I'm going to show you next week. How many of you are familiar with Exodus 18? Exodus 18, I want to ask everybody here to read it. Before next Sunday. So Exodus 18 is the model from the Bible that we get our committee structure or our team ministry structure. Moses, they said, if you keep doing it, you're going to burn yourself out. Pick men to lead other men and set it up to where everybody's helping. So that's what the church does that's healthy. I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm here to show you the Bible. Amen. I'm here to help us become healthy, to be able to flourish and prosper. 
but you can't wear a few out because not everyone is aware. Now, on top of this, a lot of people say, well, we could hire somebody out. We already pay the nursery coordinator $100 a week to do the nursery coordinating. But guys, that comes back. We don't have a lot of people in here this morning. But guys, it takes money to hire out. That's why the big churches can do what they do. They got enough people coming. They're steady hunting money to add somebody else, but they pay everybody. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying that's not the perfect biblical model. And so we all pull together. If we want to be in this church, you feel led to be here. You love this church. You want to see this church prosper and be blessed by God. We got to pull together. But guys, we don't have the money to pay nobody. But I want you to see this. Together, everyone accomplishes more. And what they do accomplish is more blessed. And they're blessed doing it. But I'm going to give you something on the way out of here. Maybe after you look at this on the way home, I'm going to give you a... a um, up to September, a monthly finance report, nine months in on the church, that's on one page, that if you have a family budget that you can maintain and you bounce a checkbook, you will know before you get off the parking lot, you and your, your spouse, if you look at it, saying, now I know why the preacher shorted out. <laughs> now I can kind of sympathize. Because, friends, we are broke. And we're broke because our government is broke. God took the hand of his financial favor off America a long time ago, and it filtered into our cities. Our cities are bust. Our communities are broke. And how many of you have been struggling lately? How many of you know what Bidenomics is? How many of you felt what it's caused? Inflation. Well, just if it's hit your family, it's hit our family. And God, though, doesn't expect the church to operate like that bunch up there that thinks they can just print money. We can't print money. Now, we have something they don't have. We have a Father in heaven that owns a thousand cows on every hill. That if we honor him and we bless him and we all work together and do our part, I can promise you this conversation will be over quick. He can take and give us $33,000 like that. But he also expects us to look and say, how did we get like this? And to work together. Not everybody can do what everybody else can do. But I'm not going to be the preacher that begs people and bugs people about money. I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to show you your part and what you're supposed to do. And God changes our hearts. God shows us what to do. Now, if God puts it on my heart, there is some money verses in the Bible. I'll preach them. But I'm not preaching them because I think we as a church are doing pretty good. We're giving but we're costing more. Everything's going up. So I want you to know that when you leave here, I'm going to give you a new type of monthly finance report. I'm going to give it to you personally. And I plan to give it to you for the next few months by the first or second week of every month. Next month, I'll give you October. The month after that, I'll give you November. The month after that, I'll give you December. Now, guys, these were just meetings that you can join today. These are ministry teams that if you join, if, if you join the children's ministry, if you pass a background, a background check, praise God you're in. Amen. Anybody here that wants to help minister to kids? If you want to help with nursery, you got to pass a background check. If you pass the background check, you're in. And we'll, we'll put you to work. We'll begin to train you. If you promise not to steal nothing, we'll let you lock up the time joking. You think that's funny, but stuff has gone missing around here, huh, Diane? I said, well, they must have needed it more than Jesus. 
But anyway, all kidding aside, there's responsibilities abound to keep a church, even this size, operating smoothly. So if you want to be on the lockup committee, you're welcome to join up. The building and grounds committee, if you know how to cut, do anything that can help maintain it, you're a welcome asset. We want you to join up. But guys, there's some other committees that need help. There's people here that God has blessed us with that are able to contribute to the finance committee. And I don't know what your Bible tells you, but my Bible tells me in the presence of lots of counsel, wisdom is found. And so if we got other people that God has blessed us with that can contribute, it's nothing to do with what who already has been working hardest they can, doing all they can to help us. God's the one going to get us out of this. God's the one that's watching us. But as we get the people that God has brought here who can contribute, who has the means and the ability to help us with our finances, we should welcome them in. We should use them and put them in, those, in that ministry. We're going to get deacons soon if we got them. You can't just make anybody a deacon. We've got to understand the qualifications and the biblical responsibilities. So I wish I could preach Jesus, but I'm going to have to do this because we're never going to reach all the people Jesus wants us to reach when we're functioning in a way that's not functioning. It may look good. It may sound good, but it's not actually accomplishing the work of ministry. When we get deacons in here that are doing the work of ministry, not that the other ones aren't, how many can three people do? How many can just... A couple people do. John Morrow is not a building and grounds committee. And Jessica is not a children's ministry. But together we start doing it. God will give us money. Because right now if God sent 50 people, what would we do with them? How would we take care of them? I can't take care of us. If I got 50 more, golly, I'd drown. So we all got to learn to do our share. And God will edify his church, his body. And he'll bless us. Amen. This morning, what you going to sing, Brother Jonathan? If you're lost, I want to tell you Jesus died for you. You may say, people could get saved in this. Yeah, because Jesus saves. And Jesus died on the cross so that he could have a church like this to be able to preach the gospel. And if you're a sinner and you've never been saved by his grace this morning, if you just realize that, and you say, I believe Jesus died for me. You can accept Christ. You see, all the other stuff I'm telling you that we need to do is so that we can do that. That's the main reason we're here. And if we do get one saved, when we bring them in, we got to teach them how to work and be a part of the body of Christ. Anyone that gets saved, anyone who joins, is equal to everybody else. You're not an elder based on tenure or age. You're an elder based on call. Can I get an amen? You're not a member of this church based on anything except God called you into this fellowship and you answered that call. So I'm going to just tell you, this morning I'm asking you to answer the call in which God has called you to do what he's telling you to do and nothing more, nothing less. If you want to sign up on one of these, it'd be a wonderful thing to leave here with some names that list on here to contact. We'll have some meetings. We'll prepare and equip. We'll come back with you in a couple weeks with some recommendations and we're going to build these committees and we're going to help this church to keep going because as long as we sit here and act like everything's wonderful, that's no different than a place up there in Washington. Amen. <laughs> we got to do our part. I'm here to be with you as long as you want to be led. Father in heaven, I pray right now for this invitation. This ain't what people want to hear at church, but Lord, sometimes we got to hear what we need to hear. And I believe the truth is always the truth. And to be honest is always best to be transparent. And Lord, I'm just trying to be transparent, trying to show everybody 
together we can do this. And Lord, you could fix it in a moment's notice if you so desire. So Lord, we look to you today to unite us in faith, to show us each and everything you want us to do, and to help us as your body to listen to you, our head, and obey Jesus as we follow you, Lord. Help us this morning. If there's somebody here today who's never been saved or forgiven, help them today to understand that you loved them enough to die for them and you will save them at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.